Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Good day, good afternoon, welcome. It's Thursday afternoon, Fresh Thinking time. It's wonderful to be with you on the airwaves. I'm going to do something that normally I wouldn't do. Just simply anybody who knows me will understand that I'm probably the last person to ask for advice for a recipe. But I'm going to ask you for a recipe, okay? So uh, bear with me, bear with me. It's not exactly the ordinary recipe that uh, any normal person would be asking for. We're about to start the month of Adar tonight. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh. It's the beginning of the month of Adar. And if you read what the Talmud has to say about it, this is the month of happiness. Mishanichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha. When the month of Adar enters, we're supposed to increase joy, increase happiness. So I'm looking for a recipe. It's the middle of a pandemic. It's a difficult time. People are feeling stressed. There's financial stress. There's health issues. There's breakdown of social connection. There's so many interferences with happiness. And now we're about to start the month of happiness, of joy. So I'm looking for a recipe. As they say in the classics, asking for a friend, or perhaps in this case, asking for all my friends. Everybody's looking for a way to achieve happiness. So if you've got a good recipe or even a good ingredient to put into that recipe, how to achieve happiness even in these challenging times, I'm sure everybody listening would be keen to hear it. So you can share your thoughts via SMS on 34519. You could use our Telegram line, 0618951019. And as always, you have the right to, the right to have access. You have access to social media. You can always share on the Facebook page of Chai FM. You can share on our Twitter feeds at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish. Question for today, who has a good recipe, a practical recipe? I don't, I don't think we need one of those elaborate recipes that you've got to keep consulting and making sure that you have ingredients that are not necessarily easily accessible. I'm going to give you one of those uh, recipes you can make at home. In other words, with the whatever we have at our disposal, how do we find how do we find uh, happiness in today's world? That's the question that hopefully we'll get to discuss. I think it's important. I think it's important if the Torah expects us at this time of the year to be happy. And I'm not sure about the word happy, by the way. We can debate that because I don't know if it's necessarily expressive enough of what the Torah says. The Torah talks about something called simcha. And maybe simcha is something deeper than just simply happiness. But still, let's start this way. Do you have a good recipe, or if not a full recipe, a powerful ingredient that you would recommend for somebody, for any of us, that we could use in order to achieve simcha, in order to be happy, happy in a meaningful way? I'm not talking about just uh, watching Comedy Central. Happy, like really happy, deep inside that you feel it filling every fiber of your being. Because I think that that's what simcha means. Even though we think of simcha as an event, you have a simcha, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, a bris. The truth of the matter is that simcha is a sensation that fills everything about you and influences how you see the world, your level of optimism, of self-confidence, your ability to engage, your magnanimity, all of that is, an, is a factor of simcha. So what ingredients 
should we be using if there's an imperative at this time of the year that we're supposed to engage in a way of simcha, that we're supposed to experience simcha, how do we do that? Here's Ronnie on Telegram who says the short answer is purpose. I'm going to be a little bit uh, pedantic about this, okay? So the short answer is purpose. My question is, does that mean that you have to live because you believe there is a purpose? In other words, the things that are happening that are difficult, there's a purpose to why those things are happening? Or are you going to say that purpose means that you should live with a sense of purpose? I'm here to fulfill a purpose. Or I suppose some people might even say that as live on purpose, right? Live on purpose. So I'm not disagreeing because I think it's a very good observation that if a person has purpose or understands purpose, it will certainly help to have simcha. So my question is, can we fine tune this idea? What does it mean, purpose? Uh, and then Ronnie says, isn't the more accurate word osher? And that's osher with an aleph, by the way, because somebody just tweeted. Let me find it for you. Somebody just tweeted over here. Diego said that the secret ingredient is money. That would be osher with the Hebrew letter ayin, wealth. And the osher that Ronnie says over here in this uh, message is with an aleph, which means I don't think happiness does the trick, actually. Osher is the sense of this healthy wholesome sense of just being good, you know, that things are, are good and that things are, are as they should be. So it's interesting that you say that because I think Osher is a powerful word. We use it in our davening regularly. We say, Ashrei Yoshrei Veisecha, Ashrei Ha'am, you know, happy is the people, uh, the nation who behaves in a particular way or the individual who behaves in a particular way. But when it comes to the month of Adar, we're told, by the sages, that this is a time you have to look for simcha. So I think simcha is even more than osher. Osher could be a sense of satisfaction. I'm, I'm good. Like I know where I'm meant to be and I understand what, that what I've got in my life is what I should have in my life. And I'm in the stable, even keel of goodness. Whereas simcha is quite dynamic. Simcha implies, I mean, you think about it. Simcha, you go get your tap dance shoes on. You know what I mean? Simcha makes it feel like you should be out there and, and you should be exuding a certain joie de vivre. So, so let's actually look. That's what I said at the beginning. I don't know if happiness is really a good enough, uh, a good enough term, right? Happiness. I think simcha is more dynamic. Simcha is joy. So, how do we, let's change this a little bit. How does one find a recipe for joy to really live your life with this incredible sense of joy? Right, that I think is, is perhaps what we're looking for. Uh, here's Ron on Twitter who says, Torah study works every time. And I agree with that because unfortunately, unfortunately, I think many people within our Jewish community, while we are Jewish, committed, uh, knowledgeable, traditional, even religious, I don't know how many people actually sink themselves into proper deep study of Torah. Uh, so if you just kind of read the parish of the week at a superficial level, I don't think that's what Ron is talking about here when he says Torah study. But when you really apply your mind and you dive deeply into the information, suddenly you actually start to see everything in a different light. You start to see your life, the reason, well, not the reason. I don't think people are going to necessarily get answers to questions on a specific level necessarily. 
um, by learning Torah as much as getting this this perspective. And perspective is a big thing. Let's go back to what Ronnie said about purpose because uh, he has a follow-up message from Ronnie that it means having purpose in life, doing something meaningful and fulfilling with your life. You know, it's really interesting you say that because there was a study done. I saw this a while ago, and um, I recently came across it again. I'm going to see if I can find it. But there was a really interesting study that showed that people who um, – here we go. Is this it? I don't know. I'm just uh, Googling while we're talking. There it is. Scientific American did a survey of 10,000 people in the United Kingdom, and they discovered that two-thirds of them felt happier because they were volunteering. And then they did a similar study in the United States with 6,000 widowed women, and they found that those of them who started to volunteer for just two hours or more per week found that their average level of loneliness subsided, and and they started to become almost as happy as married people. It's a fascinating concept. So there you've got this idea of uh, you know having a purpose and and going out there and and living on purpose. That certainly there's even science behind it brings a person. A sense of happiness. What other ingredients can we put together for this recipe? We're building a recipe. Uh, initially, I said it was a recipe for happiness, but I think happiness is a little bit too overused and a little bit too generic. Besides which, it's the month of Adar where we talk about simcha, joy. So what would you suggest needs to go into this recipe in order for a person to have simcha? If you've got a thought, you can text us on 34519 if you're using the SMS line. Otherwise, Telegram is 0618951019. And as always, the channels of social media are open at FM at Rabbi Shish on Twitter. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So here we are talking about a recipe that we're going to concoct, the recipe for Simcha, because this is the time of the year we're told that we're supposed to be in a state of Simcha. What does it take to get there, to be, to live in a state of joy, not just the, um, the generic happiness? What does it mean to live in a state of joy? Elizabeth on Twitter says it's a little bit like Cholent. <laughs> Gotta love that, so that kind of a Jewish metaphor. Happiness is a little bit like Cholent. Everyone has their own recipe. Happiness for one person could be misery for another. And during dark times, you might not have all the ingredients, no matter how much you want it. And there's a thing that we need to talk about, you see. There's a thing. I think it's absolutely true, by the way, that there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all. And it's quite possible and quite uh, common that what really does it for one person really doesn't do it for the next person. But then uh, maybe we don't have all the ingredients to make that recipe. I, I don't know if that's only during dark times. I mean, right now, you could say collectively, as a global community, it's a darker time. And so right now, it's quite common for people to say, I don't really have all of the ingredients that I would want to have in order to be happy. That's true. But the truth is actually that we never have all of the ingredients we want to have for happiness. So you had Diego earlier saying that money is the ingredient. And then you had um, you had Ronnie saying that purpose and meaning is the ingredient or the key ingredient. And people say, well, what happens when you hit a particular point in your life? You certainly, money, you don't get to control, right? 
having a sense of purpose, that's something you can work on. And maybe that's why it's a far better suggestion. I really, really don't believe that money is a key to happiness at all. Sometimes uh, when a person has money, they can use money in order to be able to achieve certain things uh, that maybe will make them happy. But money does not equate to happiness. So what do you do if you don't have the ingredients? I think you have to take that as a given. I think you have to expect that, generally speaking, you do not have the ingredients that you always want in order to have a sense of joy and happiness simply in your life. So now what do you do? What do you do? Here's Austin who says uh, the key to simcha is, or the key to happiness is, no attachments. That's interesting. Do we become a little bit too attached to stuff? Do we become a little bit too attached to expectations? Do we become a little bit too attached to our own ego? And those are things that get in the way of happiness. You look around and you see all the different studies that are done on happiness. You hear that there's certain things that keep repeating again and again, again and again about, you know, what happy people do right. And a big part of it is they don't have these major expectations. And it's true. So that's, I think, what Austin means when he says, you know, let go, let go of those attachments and attachments to stuff. You know, if you get stressed over not being able to have stuff or stuff that doesn't work or stuff that you lose or, God forbid, get stolen or something like that, it's possible that a person could really get dragged down by it. You get dragged down by, you know, not having that stuff. If you're not so attached to it, okay, you know, big deal. It's the same concept when a person really takes themselves seriously. So you're very attached to your sense of self, your your sense of ego. And then somebody comes along and mistreats you or speaks to you in a particular way. Like, if you're not so attached, okay, big deal. You know, it's all right. I'll get over it. I don't take myself that seriously. It's interesting. You often see that people who are quite happy don't take themselves that seriously. So, yeah, attachments. That's an interesting one. Not to have attachments is quite an important component of um, of being happy. I saw a nice quotation that says, happiness is an inside job. So a big part of what we think is that happiness is going to depend on external factors. So when we get the vaccine, then we will be happy. When life is, it can go back to normal. I always think, does anybody remember what normal was? Normal was still people seeing therapists and taking Prozac. Normal was still a lot of stress and anxiety. Let's not kid ourselves and believe that this is the first time in our lifetimes that we have been depressed or anxious or stressed. Not at all. It's a factor of being human. And so if we're going to wait for stuff to happen, for external influences to determine our happiness, then it's not It's not going to be. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And it's interesting because you look at the Talmud and it says, when the month of Adar enters, you are to increase in joy. How do you tell me how to feel? How can you instruct me how to feel? Why don't you say, when good things happen in your life, make sure that you're not a grouch. Make sure that you show gratitude. Make sure that you feel and express the happiness. I mean, the, the, the Talmud makes a fascinating comment that uh, one of the greatest kings of Jewish history, King Chizkiah, could have become Moshiach. He almost had the opportunity to become Moshiach, except that he did not express enough gratitude and joy at the miracles that had happened uh, in his life. How's that for a thought? Uh, the Arizal, one of the greatest Kabbalists uh, who revolutionized the entire mystical system that we use to study Kabbalah, to study Jewish mysticism, 
He says, if you look in the Torah, the Torah tells us that there are 98 different kinds of mis- mishaps that can happen to a person. You know, horrible experiences that might come a person's way. And when the Torah describes them, it says, these things happen because you don't serve Hashem with simcha. Meirov kol. When things are good, you don't express simcha. So, it's quite something, right? It's quite a thought. That uh, it, it's, it's a choice, effectively, that we make. That's what the Talmud says. You get to choose to be besimcha. Most of us would think, when the good things happen, that's when we have simcha. That's when we're joyous. That's where we're, when we're in a good mood. That's when we feel that we can get up there with a sense of confidence and optimism or, and, and whatever the case is. But then when we don't have all of the ingredients, hmm, suddenly, I don't know, hey? I don't have all the ingredients. How am I supposed to make this recipe called happiness? How am I supposed to make this recipe called joy? And yet, the sages who were incredibly spiritual, intellectual people, quite a lot more advanced, I would say, than any of us, they say, you could do it. There's a date on the calendar that says, from now, start increasing your simcha. That means there's a program that you could choose to follow and you could actually make it happen. You could actually do it yourself. Just going back for a second to what uh, Ronnie said before, that the key ingredient for happiness is a sense of purpose. It's a great, great quotation that they attribute to Helen Keller, that true happiness is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Quite a thing when you consider, of course, a person with the disabilities that Helen Keller had. So to be able to talk as an authority on happiness, I think that is somebody who could speak as an authority because um, Helen Keller would say that, happiness didn't come from somewhere or something. It was obviously a mindset that she had chosen to adopt. But I like that. Fidelity to a worthy purpose. So it's, it seems very much a Jewish approach and a Jewish um, attitude to say that simcha is something you generate. Simcha is something you create. It's not something that falls into your lap. There are occasions within life where you could say Things happen to help me feel simcha. Absolutely, without a question. Good times, life cycle events, uh, a windfall. Yeah, of course, those things give a person simcha. But we can't wait. Life is meant to be lived proactively. It's a big part of being Jewish, to live proactively. And so if there is a concept within Judaism, and by the way, it's not only during the month of Adar. That's implied. It's implied by the Talmud saying, increase your simcha. That implies that you should already have simcha, and now you're just ramping it up because it's this time of the year. So it's a time to to increase it. But the default setting of a Jewish person is supposed to be a setting of simcha, of joy. And the question is, how do you get there? How do you make that simcha happen? That's what we need to talk about. That's why we're concocting this recipe. I'd love to hear your thoughts and insights. 34519 via SMS 0618951019 on Telegram. And then the social media channels, Facebook page, Chai FM's Facebook page, and at Chai FM or at Rabashish on Twitter. With February considered the month of love, you're going to love the fact that our insurance is all about saving you money. In fact, they love it so much that you can ask them to give you 500 Rand cash if they cannot beat your current car insurance premium. Claim free and at the same, sorry, claim free and at the same insurer for three years. Tell them to make it 1,500 rand. SMS out to 40251 for a quote, whether it's savings or cash. You'll love the feeling of extra cash in your pockets. So SMS out to 40251. Our insurance is a licensed insurer and financial services provider. T's and C's 
apply. They are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in to assist us when life has ended. They are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebra Kadisha Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change that. Zion Adar, the seventh of Adar, is the day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box, Shabbos meals and gifts for Shabbos 19 February, the Shabbos of Zion Adar. Actually, I think if I'm not mistaken, Zion Adar is Friday, but it's the Shabbos associated with Zion Adar. Honor our heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, visit our website, www.chaifm.com. Honor our heroes is a Chaifm community initiative. So it's uh, halfway through, just over halfway through the show. Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Shishler. If you have just joined us, tonight we start Rosh Chodesh, going into the month of Adar, the most joyous month on the Jewish calendar, the month that is highlighted by the Festival of Purim, which of course is the most festive festival of the lot. And it's a time we're told that you're supposed to increase in joy, so we're collaborating together as the Chai FM community to come up with a, uh, with a recipe for Simcha, a recipe for joy. So these are our suggestions so far. Diego said money. I'm not taking it. Sorry, it's not going in our recipe book. Uh, Ronnie said purpose, which means you should live with a sense of purpose. Yes, we'll take that. Um, uh, Ron said Torah study. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. You have to have some source filling your mind with a sense of meaning, direction, and confidence. So yes, definitely Torah study. Elizabeth said it's like a cholent, and not everybody has all the ingredients that they need when they want it. That's true, and that's exactly what we have to work through is, uh, you know, how do you find the ing- – how do you create? How do you generate ingredients when you don't necessarily have the ingredients? Uh, here's somebody who says, count your blessings. Now, that's a good thing, see, because that's proactive. The idea of simcha is that you choose to have simcha. And if you choose to have Simcha, one of the great ways to do it is to be acknowledged, to acknowledge, to be aware of your blessings and to count your blessings, to, to give gratitude for your blessings. I think so, absolutely. There's something I want to share about this thought, which perhaps is important before we can actually uh, unpack our recipe completely. There are two ways in which a human being responds to anything in life. And what distinguishes humans from all other living creatures is the fact that we have two potential ways in which we can respond. So everything responds impulsively, instinctively to whatever happens in life. So you go out to the Kruger Park and you you watch the predators stalking prey and you watch the prey and how jittery they are and they're constantly looking around and checking out the, the, the vicinity to make sure that they're safe. Their responses are impulsive. So when the predator sees the prey within range, it is now an instinctive response to go and attack. And the prey, the instinctive response is to disappear, to so fight or flight, right? And it's exactly the same with us. We have instinctive responses to everything in life. And generally speaking, we often refer to a lot of those instinctive responses as emotion. So emotion means something comes into my space, and then I have a subjective response to that thing. Let's use the emotion of fear. So a threat enters my space. My emotional knee-jerk response is fear. If there was not that threat in my space, I'd have no reason to feel fear. 
okay, unfortunately, what happens is sometimes a person becomes habituated to fear, and then you have fear even when it's not an immediate threat. And that's when we have these high levels of stress and anxiety, and, and it starts wearing down the physical body because we're like in fight and flight mode when we're supposed to actually just be normal mode. But ordinarily, the way that it works is if I don't have the catalyst in my environment, I don't need the emotional response. Same kind of thing with love, right? So if there's a person who you love and that person is in your life, then you feel that love towards the person, even if they're not physically in the room, but they're in your life. So they are the catalyst that causes the response of love. Now, as long as we're operating in that particular way, we don't really get to control when those catalysts enter our space. So you don't choose when something that is a threat will enter your space and therefore you'll respond with fear. You don't get to choose. You do get to choose. You can train yourself how your fear will manifest, how much you'll manage your fear. That you could choose to do, but you don't choose when that catalyst comes into your space. Now, if simcha, if joy is an emotion, the logic says same thing, same principle. If there's a catalyst that comes into my life, something that should make me happy, something that should give me joy, then I'll be joyous. That makes sense. So if, for example, it's my birthday, boom, there you go. There's a catalyst. I'm in a good mood today. It's my birthday. I feel good about myself. And if I close a, a really good business deal, there's a catalyst. Something's come into my life and I feel good. Or if they announce that there's a cure for COVID and it, it's actually in our drinking water, and, and but next week everybody's going to be fine, well, whoa, would we be absolutely over the moon? So that's how we tend to think of Simcha. That Simcha is one of our instinctive, impulsive reactions to external catalysts. So if the catalyst is there to cause Simcha, I will have Simcha. If there's no catalyst. No simcha. What distinguishes humans, and particularly Jewish people, and that's why I go back to Ron's point about learning Torah, is that we are trained, or we, all humans have the ability to do it, and then some people are trained from a young age to learn how to do it. Not everybody's trained this way. We're trained to understand that our nature is we have an intellectual, rational brain that allows us the opportunity to direct and to mature and to control our emotions. So in the same way as a person can train themselves that when a threat enters my space, I don't have to react with fear. I can react in a healthy, managed way. And that's a lot of what we do through the courses of therapy. Or if you have a first responder who has to be trained, don't lose your head in an emergency. So we know that we can do it. We know that we can get our mind to direct our emotional response. And usually we do that to manage negative emotions. So I don't want to fall to pieces if there's something which is uncomfortable in my life. So I learn techniques, whether it be breathing, whether it be visualization, whether it be a mantra that I have, an affirmation that I use, whatever it is. So usually we use our minds to mitigate unhealthy or negative emotions. And the Torah wants us to learn how to use our minds to generate healthy emotions. So simcha, which is an incredibly healthy emotion, because the person who has joy in their life, everything improves. You think more clearly. You connect more deeply with other people. You have this tremendous sense of confidence. You feel optimistic about the future. There's so many factors that improve in life when a person is in a good, healthy, joyous, upbeat headspace. Whereas if a person is like really feeling the drag of life, it's difficult to do all of those things. So Judaism says to us, we've got to get our minds into a place that we can generate simcha in our hearts. That's why 
the Talmud is quite happy to say, it's something you should be doing. Now it's a time of the year where, you know, each time of the year has its particular spiritual journey. This particular spiritual journey is the one of learning to generate simcha, healthy, wholesome, happiness and joy in your life, even if you don't believe that you have all the necessary ingredients. Because happiness is an inside job, like that quotation that I mentioned earlier. Happiness is something that we generate. It is not something that we use purely as a response. And I think the minute a person makes that shift, everything starts to change because then you realize, I can actually own this. I can take responsibility for this and I can learn techniques and I can learn things about myself and about life and gain a particular perspective. And that's all going to help me to be able to achieve simcha which is a particularly central ideal to Judaism, to feel a sense of simcha, to live with a sense of optimism, with joy, being upbeat, being confident. And uh, that's why we have to learn how to do it. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. You do realize the very fact that we're having this conversation and everybody who participates in the conversation obviously means that we all really do acknowledge that we can make choices around happiness. Otherwise, you wouldn't participate in this recipe. <laughs> you wouldn't, right? A number of people, it's interesting, quite a number of people have said, uh, let's count, uh, here's one, Karen, uh, Lisa, um, Ben, um, I saw another one somewhere else, can't find it, all say, oh, there we go, Brie. All say gratitude. Gratitude is part of the recipe. I think before we even start to compose the recipe, we have to acknowledge the fact that it is in our hands. I, f I feel that like at the moment things are so overwhelming, everybody's just kind of like, it's out of my hands, it's out of my hands. It's those people, if they could just get their act together, then the world would be fine. It doesn't work that way. We are all 100% responsible for our particular piece of world or our particular piece of self. 100% responsible. And part of that responsibility is to find ways to generate simcha. And if we're honest, let's be brutally honest. It's not always easy. In fact, many a time, it's really not easy. Sometimes you're hitting your head against a brick wall. Sometimes the things that are going on in your life cannot be resolved. You can never get that ingredient for your cholent. It's gone. It's past its sell-by date. There was a time in your life, perhaps when that ingredient was available, it is no longer available. And yet... Despite the fact that it can really, really be challenging, I think we have to be honest, that it can really be challenging, there are techniques, there are methods that we can use that would help us, would help us to be able to do it. Bianca says we should have empathy for others, and that brings us happiness. I, I definitely resonate with that, but let's be clear that empathy and happiness are not synonymous necessarily. And sometimes you've got to be careful that you don't become so caught up with your empathy to others that you actually get sucked into what other people are going through. So that's a fine balance. I think it's subject for another conversation altogether. Thomas says, dictate your own perception and meaning of what happiness is to you as a unique person. And that's a good point because perhaps what we do a lot of the time is spend so much energy imagining that our happiness is what we're seeing on a billboard or what we saw in the next person because they look so happy why can't i be like that or what they posted on the instagram timeline and who says that your happiness is mine maybe i'll chase your happiness for many years and just remain really not happy so that's a great point that Tomer is making 
let's define first what exactly is happiness, what exactly is Simcha. I think Simcha is uh, very much about recognizing I am where I need to be right now with the things I need to have in my life right now. And it's actually all for the most incredibly good outcome, uh, even if it's not the outcome that I expect. Going back to Austin's uh, message earlier about uh, letting go of, you know, don't have attachments. Uh, Monique says, you've got to learn to laugh at yourself, not take life too seriously. I think also not take yourself too seriously. We did touch on that a little bit before. It's interesting how much you see a correlation between people who can let go and laugh at themselves a little bit and how much more they can have um, access to happiness. Um, here's Delia. I like this a lot. Delia says, keep a journal and write down each night just something. Okay, so Delia says, write down everything that happened today. I don't see myself ever doing that. <laughs> I think journaling is great. And dear diary is very nice, but <clears throat> I definitely could never imagine writing down everything that happened in the day. But I, I, I think if a person would keep a journal of good things that happen, we'd actually be quite surprised when we look back at it and say, look how much good I have in my life, which of course goes to the suggestion about gratitude and appreciation. Uh, here's Maureen, same, similar concept, be happy with what you are blessed with. Um, Tessa says, have no expectations. Um, because we do know, again, scientifically, we do know that those people who have high expectations tend not to be happy people. Uh, so there you go. There's, there's uh, you know, very similar themes, I think, coming through. One theme that hasn't come through yet, and I think it's definitely something that plays a huge role from a Jewish perspective. We've got to forget this idea that we're in control or, or that there are entities in control. If there's one thing that this last year, and that's probably a year now for us, right? Here in South Africa, at least, it's a year of coronavirus coming up, right? March, I, I know I went into quarantine in March. I think uh, lockdown of the shuls followed shortly after. It was Purim, basically. On the Jewish calendar, Purim is two weeks away, so call it a year. So if there's one thing that we have learned, hopefully, we're really not in control, really not. And not only we, the individual, the disempowered individuals are not in control, but the big, huge entities of government and industry, look at the travel industry as an example, are just not in control. You know, and, and nobody's, nobody's solving this as quickly as we would like to. It's just out of our hands. And you don't know what the next variant is going to be like. And you don't know what the next door country is going to decide its policy will be about you being able to travel. There's just so many balls in the air. And that's often a source of tremendous anxiety for people. This sensation of lack of control. So the Torah teaches us, well, Control was an illusion in the first place. If you believe that you have, you have control over certain things. You have control of your, over your attitude. You have control over your deeds. You can choose to do good things in life or you could choose to do toxic things in life. There you have control. But you certainly don't have control of outcomes and you certainly don't have control of trends and you certainly don't have control of global elements. You really don't. We don't. We don't. So the Torah tells us if we are willing to relinquish, and that's why I was interested when people said things like expectations and attachment, the greatest expectation we have is that we can solve things on our own. The greatest expectation or attachment that we have is to our particular vision of how things are supposed to work out. And the Torah teaches us that every single morning, you wake up every single morning and you say, you know what, I did not choose to wake up this morning. I did set an alarm last night, that's true, but... 
if you think about it, is it's pretty much the only action through the course of the whole day that we clearly don't get to choose. So you choose what to have for breakfast, you choose what to wear, you choose if you're going to take a shower in the morning or the evening, you choose which business meetings you're going to participate in and which ones you're going to procrastinate over. You, cho you choose a whole lot of things. You don't, cho you don't choose to wake up in the morning. It's the most phenomenal thought, don't you think? In fact, going to sleep at night is actually a statement of faith because you're relinquishing control and saying, I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I, I believe statistically that I will. Chances are pretty good that I'll wake up tomorrow morning, but I don't know it. There are no guarantees. Every once in a while, we have a shock horror story of somebody who doesn't wake up in the morning. So it's this, it's this moment of faith. If you look in the, in the liturgy, the bedtime Shema that we're supposed to say before we go to sleep at night contains a line that says, God, I'm depositing my soul in your hand. It's a fascinating moment because that's really what we're doing. We're saying, I'm, I'm, from, from now till I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm completely in your hands uh, and I have no influence over what's going to happen. And then we wake up in the morning. The very first thing we do as we open our eyes, while we're still groggy, Dafka, before we're totally awakened and crystal clear, we say, Modani, thank you, God, for the fact that I'm alive again. And that, if you think about it, those are the two bookends of our day that help us get our head right to know where to find Simcha, which I'll tell you about in just a second. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. All right, so uh, we've got a recipe. <laughs> we, we, it might not be the only recipe, by the way. You can try. You can try a lot of recipes. But a big, big, big part of the recipe, the recipe for Simcha, the re recipe for real joy, for a meaningful, healthy happiness that can endure in the long term, even when we're missing ingredients, is we've got to realize we're not in control yes but the one who is in control really knows what he's doing you know what, what what happens is the minute we think we're not in control of something we start to worry who's in control but not when you're on a plane you don't sit there in your seat thinking oh wow i really hope that the pilot is doing a good job you might be a backseat driver in the car but in the plane it's amazing we get on we sleep you eat you relax. Why? Because you know, this guy knows what he's doing. He's trained for this. He's qualified. He has the right equipment. He knows the destination. And quite honestly, I know that the pilot gets on at the beginning and gives you a whole spiel. We're going to reach this kind of altitude and we're going to travel at that kind of speed in this direction and we're going to pass over this. You know what? To be perfectly honest, I don't know about you, but when I get into my seat on the plane, I really don't care. I don't care what altitude or speed. Just tell me you're going to get us there. That's your job. I believe that you can do it. I trust that you're going to do it. And that's it. I can now relax. I personally find the plane one of the most relaxing places on earth because uh, you, they close those doors. No phones. Nobody can bother you. You just breathe. It's incredible because you know that you're in good hands. Now, there's a mantra that we should be repeating on a daily basis. It's embedded in our prayers. Every time you take a drink of water, we say it. We say, everything. You take a drink of water, and as a Jewish person, you make a statement at that moment, and every time you eat, you say, God, he has this. He's got this. Everything happens 
by his direction. He is the master mind, the master controller. Everything is in his hands. He is our pilot. We're going to the destination he's taking us to. Whatever tricks we think we're going to come up with to evade or avoid where he wants and needs and knows is best for us to go. It's not going to work. So we're in good hands. It's a lot easier said than done. I know that. That's why it's meditative. That's why it's something we repeat. That's why we pray the same prayers again and again and again every single day. Because those prayers open our eyes. That's why we learn the Torah again and again. The same stories again and again. Because those stories illustrate to us that he has a journal of Jewish history. There should be no Jews statistically. He has a journal of Jewish history that God's got our back. That he has a plan. That we're not in control and we were never intended to be in control of anything other than our outlook and our goodness, and our perception, and our appreciation, and our responses. And the better we can instill in our minds, because remember the mind directs and controls emotions. Joy doesn't happen by accident. Joy is generated. How do I generate it? By appreciating that I'm really in good hands. The pilot of this life, he's a really good pilot. And he'll get me, please God, to the best places. So the brocha is marbim besimcha. There's another way to punctuate it. Marbim, we increase the blessing of the coming month of Adar through our simcha, through our joy. So please God, we succeed in finding joy even without all of the ingredients. And please God, as a result of that, we see the greatest blessings for ourselves, our families, our communities, and for the entire world. I want to wish you a good Chodesh and good Shabbos. And please God, revealed Brochus. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.